I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy... Uh... <laughs> what are we what are we happy about this week? I was on vacation. Uh, that was nice. What happened? Uh happy post Masters Monday. Yes, happy. happy happy Masters coming off Masters weekend for all of you doll fans. I, I missed it. I usually enjoy the Masters, but I I was very much away from sports for the weekend, which was a, a nice uh change. I feel like most weekends lately have been away from sports, not by choice, but uh two small children will do that. Yeah. Sounds like that's uh, probably the case. I, I did watch the second half of the Knicks game yesterday, and uh, and that was both horrifying and enjoyable all at once. <laughs> I avoided uh, annoying Mets game. I avoided the Nets <laughs> weirdly losing to the to the like starless Lakers by twenty. That was so, wild. There, there were reasons yeah, for it, but it was wild. I missed the, all that. Like I didn't know about the. I didn't really even know the result of the game till Sunday. Uh, I missed the whole Tyree thing. Um, so yeah, I I'm I, I was very much uh, away from sports uh, for like four days, which was which was nice. It's nice to take some distance, but uh, back back in it here, um, and not much obviously from a Syracuse standpoint to miss. Uh, but now now we get the deer up for the NFL draft at the end of the month and lacrosse continuing to move forward and everything else. So fun times. Yeah, but first, um, it, it wouldn't be a Monday if uh, if another Syracuse player didn't depart the program. Um, Alan Griffin is gone now as he is, uh, he's elected to check out the draft and, uh, and, and not in the, uh, Quincy Garrier way where he's just going to like explore his options. Uh, Griffin's gone. I don't really, I'm not surprised by this. I know he struggled at the end of the year. He was kind of, you know, put on the bench, um, in favor of some different lineups and players that were just hitting shots more. But, uh, realistically like Griffin already did the whole transfer thing, um, from Illinois, he definitely showed himself a capable shooter at times for Syracuse, um, even if there were some things like on defense here and there. But, uh, you know, he, he was able to show himself a capable rebounder, shot blocker, did some things, showed enough athleticism um, that he'll get some looks. And even if he ends up in the G League or playing in Europe, I, I think still probably the right decision uh, for him. He's about to be uh, 21 years old. So he's definitely... Um, in, in a situation where, you know, the longer you wait, and we've seen this before um, for other players from Syracuse and elsewhere, like you wait too long and, and, and sometimes you just end up, you know, age, not aging out completely, but aging out of the like, oh, let's just wait and see what he turns into uh, kind of stage of the process. And you, you end up in the, well, he's already what he is um, level of evaluation from scouts. Yeah, I think that's all very fair. I mean, I think he has uh, kind of some interesting – um, opportunities uh, because obviously his father works for the Raptors and is, is very much ingrained in the NBA culture. So he might, you know, not to, this is not like a knock on him at all. It's just like, you know, there's a, ch- a chance he gets an opportunity that another player of his, of his caliber might not have uh, if he wants to go the G league route or something, if he doesn't want to go the G league route uh, you know, he's a, he's a player with a, a nice shot with a lot of athleticism. He, you know, doesn't quite put it up together all the time, but there's still plenty of spots for those kind of players uh 
overseas. Um, I mean, if I feel like every every like couple of days we see like Tyus Battle having some crazy highlights in Russia. Now he'd probably rather not be playing in Russia, but also he's probably making a pretty nice decent amount of money. He's definitely to be a star player for a professional team. Like there are worse things. I feel like we go over this all the time. Like they're, they're the NBA. While obviously the goal for these guys is not the be all end all. Um, and Griffin, like, there's no guarantee he would have had, like, a, a real great opportunity to build his stock higher than it is now by coming back. I think there, I would have taken him back. I think there's a chance that he would have become a more consistent player, and he could have been, like, an all-ACC-type player, I think. He has that kind of talent. But this team is bringing in Benny Williams, a five-star forward at his position. Um, Buddy Beheim obviously took, like, a real leap at the end of the season and is going to be, if not the focal point, like, one of the two focal points of the offense, if Benny's as good as we think. Um, there's a chance Quincy Garrier comes back and could have a similar, if not expanded, role. We have Cole Swider coming in. We have the very, very strong likelihood of Jimmy Beheim coming in. So it's just, like, I, I don't uh, blame Griffin at all, given how this season played out for him, whether or not that was, like, his fault or, you know, he didn't, whether or not he did everything he could to to bring more consistency to his game. But considering he was like really struggling to find minutes at the end of the year there and was had a very short leash, um, I'm not surprised that he decided to take this step instead of another year at SU or another year in college transferring elsewhere. So, yeah, a, a pretty logical decision, honestly. I know it's strugg- a lot of people struggle to see that when they think like, oh, he has no chance of getting drafted. And like, probably not, but... For him, like this probably makes more sense than anything else that he could have done at the college level. So, d- d- best of luck to him. Obviously, his success would look good for us. And uh, you know, same thing we say about all these guys who who take this jump, uh, even if like the NBA draft is not necessarily a super likely outcome. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like you said, like it, it, diminishing minutes at the end of the year, even with some roster shakeups, like you kind of know what your fate is with Syracuse. Uh, I know. I think Mike Waters confirmed like a week or two ago that. Um, if Griffin tried to transfer again, that he would have to sit um, because he's already transferred. So realistically, like, why would you then auction off another season to then maybe get one more shot um, to prove yourself? But then by the time you leave, you're 23 years old. Like, if you're if you're Griffin, there's absolutely no upside to transferring. Um, and again, there's limited upside to really staying at Syracuse at this rate. So yeah, why not give it a shot? And really, like, you could argue he, he was probably playing out of position at SU as a three when he, he could have benefited more maybe from being a two in a man-to-man scheme. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, he'd be able to do as a professional. I, I, I think that there's just, I think he's got enough athleticism that, that he could get some looks. I, I think, as you mentioned, you know, his father being involved in the Raptors, like that means he probably has better advice than most players <laughs> um, coming out at, at, at this point in their careers. And, and realistically, like, you know, I, I wish him the best too. I, I think that he has, I, I think he has a good shot to, you know, play at the G League level, um, at least initially. But even if he ends up in Europe, still the right decision. Absolutely. And it's funny, like, obviously, I think, you know, our fans are, are used to this at this point. But it's funny to see Marek get, and who obviously, much different career for us. Um, get all of this adulation and well-deserved uh, for making a jump with very little NBA uh, draft prospect uh, to do a play in Europe where he's from and Griffin getting criticized from certain people uh, for making a similar decision. And I know that Griffin didn't spend four years here and doesn't, didn't have the history with SU fans here. And like, certainly he is not more at Dolajai to the Syracuse program, but the two of them made very, very similar decisions a couple days apart. 
and uh, it does seem like the reaction's a little different. <laughs> um, so, but but you know, that is all to say. Like, I think for both of them, it makes a lot of sense, and and hopefully they both have uh, a ton of success. I hope Murat plays for like fifteen years in Europe and has a great time and makes a lot of money. Um, and we should mention him as well. So, yeah, uh, again, just not just not a super surprise. I think, especially this year of all years, you're going to see a lot of guys just taking chances on the future of their careers because there are more opportunities than ever opened up. Like that's just comes down to that like the g league is becoming a more attractive um opportunity every year uh even if it's not the nba europe um i think more guys are, are willing to play there australia has a pretty burgeoning league um asia middle east like there there's so many leagues now uh there's just a lot of opportunities so um and then obviously throw in the transfer stuff this year and you're going to see a ton of of movement yeah i i would completely agree and and, and i think now we're I, I think now we, we are going to start moving on to, I mean, I thought we did. I think that as a fan base and I think overall as a college basketball fan base, no matter where, who you root for, um, I, I think we're going to start seeing that page turn a little bit more. Um, but leaving basketball for a few anyway, uh, did want to talk a little bit about um, 2024 scheduling for Syracuse football. Um, I did write something today uh, just about who Syracuse would schedule in 2024. The FCS game, I think, is one that we're going to see. Um, obviously, I listed out a bunch of teams that we could play. Um, Colgate could be one of them if we don't schedule that one for 2023. Um, other teams that we haven't played ever or maybe in a while, uh, Delaware, Maine, Stony Brook, because I, I don't think we've played them since 2012, maybe 2011. I forget exactly. Uh, I don't think we've ever played Townsend. Uh, William and Mary, typically, I would probably cross them off the list, not because we don't want to play them, but just because they typically face, um, you know, like Maryland, ODU, Virginia, Virginia Tech, um, and a handful of other schools. Um, LIU would really be like the team I'd want to face, mostly because they're like least developed as a program. Um, and we haven't faced them um, at all. Holy Cross is on that list, too, and Lafayette. Um, I don't think anyone's really all that broken up about who we play at FCS-wise. I think a lot of team, a lot of people would prefer that Nova was not on the list. Um, for obvious reasons, uh, based on previous results um, against that team. Obviously, this is a different coach and a different team, and I'd argue a much more talented roster. Uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, we probably don't want to face Villanova. Uh, Dan, do you have any FCS uh, preferences? Um, I am not going to start to parse over which FCS team we play, as long as it's not like a North Dakota State. <laughs> like, I think we should not worry about even like close calls in Villanova in the past. Um, if you're going to lose to an FCS, like you have much deeper problems than what FBS you were losing to. Um, I do like the LIU uh, thought because they had that school, uh, that kind of program merger recently and launched their football program. Um, and it could be kind of an attractive thing for them too. Like they get to face the biggest program in the state as a very young school. Um, and obviously like it'd be a very easy win, but it's not even about that for me. So that'd be cool. Um, but otherwise I don't really mind either any of these. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, Colgate has like the nice history behind it. I always appreciate that. Um, but, but the rest is all, you know, just give me whoever. There. Do you think that, uh, that army counts as a P5 or not? Since, since this is an ongoing uh, quest <laughs> to find that information. You, you know, it's unbelievable to me that we don't know yet. <laughs> it's, it's been years. It's been like legitimate years, uh, to find out that answer. I, I mean, I don't think they, I don't think they should. Like if we're going by the strictest definition, I understand Notre Dame does, um, Notre Dame and Army are not the same. I know Army's been good. Um, even BYU seems kind of like like BYU to me. 
I know they do. Um, I guess if BYU counts, like maybe Army should count, but BYU is like a better, more often pro. Like taking aside the last five years or so, BYU is more often at a P5 level than Army is. Um, so I don't know. I'm not going to get broken up about it by any chance. It's just very funny to me that like there's just no clarity about this. If I had to, been years. If I had to guess, other programs in the ACC and in the Big Ten have done this. Uh, you know, the Big Ten has like their no FCS rule except when they don't care about it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and there you have to play a P5 except when they don't care about it rule. So like I feel like SU is trying to play chicken a little bit with the ACC. Um, at the same time, there's also just the like hedging. Um, so saying like, yeah, it counts and, 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 and moving ahead with that belief and then telling the ACC as much. And then if it doesn't work out, then they have that to lean back on um, as, as they acted in good faith. Um, but if it does work out with another program, then they say, no, it's fine. Like realistically, then like if you face a P5 program and Army, they're like, oh, look, we face two P5 programs. Uh, that, that sounds like a distinct possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 2023, we are facing two P5 programs, um, I believe. Uh, I think that's the season. Is that the season we have Notre Dame? And uh, it might be the season that we have both Notre Dame and Purdue. Double-checking as we speak. Yeah, I don't remember. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to misstate. Uh, no, we 2022. Have, uh, 2022, we have yeah, yeah, Notre Dame. Notre Dame and Purdue. then, um, I mean, uh, uh, if you want to count UConn, we'll have three in 2025. <laughs> 2023, if you want to count Army every year, then, then the 2023 is also two P5s at Purdue and Army. 2025 uh, would be two P5s. Oh, I know. We're, not count, we're not counting UConn. We, I, I think mean, the Big Ten did, though. Big Ten, the Big Ten did for a long time. Um, for reasons. I, personally, I personally will not be counting UConn as a power anything for the rest of my life. If, if we did, 2026 would also have three. If it Army, pre- UConn, and Notre Dame. And 2027, we're covered. Um, this is my promise to the listener. <laughs> even if, even if, like, let's say the UConn does count and that's our only power five, I'm going to pretend like we broke the rule. That's fair. <laughs> like, I, uh, I, I would do I same. will not watch any, uh, that's not true. I'll watch a bowl game, but I, I will personally, uh, pretend like we're just getting an exemption for some reason. Um, the UConn program does not deserve to be <laughs> counted among the, the troop of the power five. Army definitely does before them. Army's been much better for a, a stretch now. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It's just crazy that like there's still no clarity on the Army situation um, for that 2024 spot. Um, but you know, these are this is how these things go. I, I think I think when we first started discussing this, like which was probably like 2018 or so. I don't remember when that series was scheduled. We probably figured by 2021 we'd have an idea, but you know, best laid plans. Yeah. Like technically, 2023 still has an opening. I think that one's just an FCS, so that's not as much of a glaring issue as this 2024 uh, one. You know, I mentioned in the article, at this point, the only schools left that really need one, um, Washington State and BYU would be the only uh, P5s that count. Um, so in that case, I'm pretty sure those two are going to face one another. Or that Washington makes a lot State more sense than either facing us. Yeah, or Washington State could just decide that they don't want to deal with the rule thing here. Which, um which they I imagine do. the power five would count it like or the, not the power five the pac 12 would count it if i had to guess right like well no i mean they count it i mean i just more mean like the washington state could just say no nah, no nah, we're, we're good we're just gonna face somebody else oh. like, we're just not gonna face a p5 it's fine <laughs> and, yeah and, nothing and again, like, i mean it's 
to just dare them to do something about it. It's just like, I mean, there's no incentive really for the conference to penalize its own program like that, that like is going to end up making them more money on a bowl. Like it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to do it. Even if like, I understand why they have the, the rule in place in order to try to keep some kind of level playing field. But when like it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't think there's any real incentive for like the Pats 12 to actually do something. No, there's no incentive for any of these leagues to do something. And realistically, it's gotten significantly harder to do, to to schedule. If you look at um, not all schools, but you look at future schedules for like Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia and Florida and, and a handful of others, like where they're scheduling three, I mean, Florida State too, like they're scheduling three P5s a year at this point. So who the hell is everyone else supposed to face? Yeah. Like, like they, realistically, there's only there's only ten to fifteen programs that are incentivized to face more than one P five in a year. So, what's everybody else supposed to do when everybody wants to schedule the same ten programs? Um, you know, we'd probably be one of them, but we just don't schedule them. And then Kansas, Rutgers, Maryland, and a handful of others become like the you know most popular kids on the block. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's it's uh, it's certainly not ideal, um, and also like when you start to see the ramping up of uh, of schedules, as it certainly seems like some of these power five or these like major powers uh, are preparing for the football the playoffs to expand. Like that just takes away more things, and obviously, I don't know that like someone adding us as a second or a third P five is going to be a huge thing. So that could end up kind of adding to the scarcity. Um, while we do not have the incentive of playing like a bunch of powerhouses every year anyway, um, it could just lead to like a cascading effect where there are just very few P5 games in general. Um, so I, hopefully, again, like it all comes back to hopefully our athletic department uh, gets out ahead of it and does not leave us in a position where we don't have games that we need to have set uh, years in advance. Yeah, that would definitely be ideal. I mean, I know we've talked about it, and obviously the Notre Dame series does exist, but if you remove the Notre Dame series, um, there's really not a whole lot scheduled for the future. Just the Purdue and... It's Purdue, the Ohio series that starts this coming season, the rest of the Western Michigan series. 2026 is oddly scheduled completely. Uh, Which I appreciate. Like, thank you for that one thing. (laughs) And that's great. But other than that... Beyond 2026, there's only four games scheduled. One of them is against UConn. The other three um, are against Notre Dame at various points between 2029 and 2037. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, – and, and again, like, uh, we've as we've talked about this so many times, like, it's ridiculous that we need to worry about this, uh, especially after a year in which we saw games being scheduled, like, a week out and including Not one even. of the best games <laughs> of the year, BYU Coastal, like, legitimately one of the best games of the college football season. Um, so, yes, like – it would absolutely be better if we were scheduling these things like the year, like the summer before, like if now was when we were scheduling the 2021 season, it would make so much more sense for everyone involved. But, but again, this is the way of the world forever with uh culture ball. So, and because that is continues to be the reality, uh, it is not great that we are constantly behind the eight ball um, less so than we have been in the past. Like it is nice that we have 
2022 set and 2023 almost set uh, and even 24 if we can think that army is power five like we're still in okay position but we're just never quite in perfect position <laughs> no no definitely not um closing out the conversation i guess would be the other teams we could face besides washington state and byu um if we assume we still need a power five which maybe we do um there's Rutgers, uh, who we want to make up the 2020 game for, I'm sure, um, at some point, just because it makes sense. And we still have this coming season's game on there. And rather than paying for it, it makes sense to put it on the schedule. Um, Baylor, who has some options, but A, I don't want to face them. And B, um, they're probably not going to schedule more than one P5. Uh, TCU, same deal. They have Stanford, but also not going to add another P5. Um, USC. Uh, they could add another P5, but I don't know if we want to go down that road again. Uh, South Carolina, um, maybe they want to have another P5 besides Clemson, but they also don't usually do that except against teams like uh, North Carolina um, or NC State um, or some of the other like historic rivals. Um, and then Tennessee, um, Oklahoma's the only team on the schedule right now, um, but they usually don't schedule more than one P5. None of those sound all that like likely to happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tricky group. Um, I mean, I would I would thoroughly enjoy facing South Carolina for personal reasons because I have a lot of friends down there, as as many long term listeners know. I go down there pretty often, so I would easily, I would definitely go to that game at Williams Price if we played it. And we've never played them before. Uh, weirdly, it's like one of the only Power Fives yeah. I think we have not played. Um, Tennessee, obviously, we have some some significant history with them, so I think that would be a cool game even if it's not one i really like would love to have at this point but like i would take it uh, of the options presented i think it's a more interesting game than pretty much all of the others that you'd named but it seems like probably the rescheduled Rutgers game is the most likely and probably the one that makes the most sense for su for like recruiting reasons for everything else um so i think that's probably the one we'll see uh and, and i get it so um, yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to face TCU. I, I don't really want to face Baylor for reasons that you outlined. I don't really want to face USC again, um, considering like just, you know, those, those tiny names just haven't gone well for us. Um, but it, it seems like Rutgers is probably the most logical choice and probably the most realistic. Yeah. The other option too. I mean, South Carolina and Tennessee would be like two of maybe a handful of other teams we could face. Um, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, I would maybe be on that list as well uh, for a Chick-fil-A uh, kickoff game. If, uh, because it seems like, or at least right now, like they've been going with two of those per season. There's only one schedule for 2024 right now. Um, all of those teams would be options. Uh, at that said, Syracuse is not the only team that could potentially fill that slot in the ACC, BC, FSU, Wake Forest, Pitt, um, all also in play. Obviously, FSU is really the only team that the Chick-fil-A kickoff would probably want of that group, um, including us <laughs> just because of the, uh, you know, fan travel, at least the assumptions around that, um, the local draw that they'd get, even though SU, as we know, does have a significant Atlanta contingent. Um, I'm sure they'd prefer something like a Florida state, uh, Tennessee or Florida state, Alabama or an Auburn or an LSU. But, um, I mean, really for us, the main draw of, of getting in that game is, uh, the, the large payday that comes with, uh, that neutral site game. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, we had, we experienced that whole thing with like the run of games uh, in the Dr. Gross era. And like, there are definitely positives there. Um, I know there was like a lot of ambiguity over like the actual payments um, at the time, but if they are what they are and like, they are something that can 
help set the entire athletics budget for like a year. It's hard to turn those down. And, and while I don't know, they're, they've been the best games for like program building at the same time, I went to, I think all of them at MetLife and they were pretty much always a good time. And at least we were like vaguely competitive in a few of them. So yeah, it's uh you know, I, I would probably not turn them down, but uh, I get like, you know, we've, we've argued for a while, like we are not in the position where we want to be playing, like dedicating a ton of our uh, schedule to, games that we have very little chance to win. So um, ideally, like, you know, it, it, these things all go together. Like you, you can't uh, quite just like say one thing and then also be like, yeah, well, we still don't have uh, the these games scheduled out forever and we're not good at this. So you, it's hard to then turn down an opportunity if it presents itself to, to fill a spot and fill a spot with something that could end up being really beneficial to the athletic department as a whole. Agreed, agreed. So, uh, Dan, I know you, uh, you had an eventful weekend. So, uh, what have you been drinking? Yes. So I was upstate in Saratoga for the weekend on the lake, uh, enjoying myself, uh, not doing many sports things, but did have an opportunity to get a decent amount of beer, um, and other beverages in, um, made a stop at my friend's brewery, Wolf Hollow in the, uh, Snetchity area. Um, had some of their district sits IPA, had some of their Adirondack power and light, uh, American pale, uh, lager, which was good. Their midnight jury, their black IPA, I think is con- continually, uh, their best beer, um, that or their amber or their amber lager. Um, and also something that like, you don't see, I don't know. It seems like black IPAs kind of pop up, but they, they don't ever become like a really super trendy, um, option. So enjoyed having that. Also got some cans from Unified Beer Works in the area, uh, which is in Malta, New York, uh, in the capital region. Had uh, a glimpse of Bavaria from them, which was quite good. Uh, just a pretty nice light lager, very uh, very drinkable. And then also an All the Juicy Things IPA, which was good. Um, and then also had uh, stopped at, um, where were we? Cidery in Albany. That's uh, Nine Pin, Nine Pin Ciders. Uh, had a bunch of stuff from them too, which was which was great. Very nice. Um, and this end, I had a handful of things, uh, most of them kind of retreads from the previous week, but I did have a new one. Um, from Modern Times, uh, Gravity Hammer was a mega Berliner Weiss. Uh, very aggressive, good, but very aggressive. Um, 10% um, alcohol on a Berliner Weiss, which is pretty much unheard of. Um, had a raspberry, cranberry, strawberry. Basically tasted like I was drinking uh, liquefied raspberry preserves. Which uh, which has its perks, um, so definitely enjoyed that one. Uh, finished off the Dinosaur World um, Hazy IPA that I mentioned last week. Had some more Nico Kingdom uh, Pineapple Goza. Had a so good just a lager from Modern Times, and then had a uh, family uh, just farmhouse ale, um, really nice uh, kind of farmhouse uh, table beer uh, type from uh, Celador that I've had before, but. Definitely an enjoyable one to have around. It's only 3.75%. So it's a, it's a nice one to just kind of sip, relax, um, if you're not looking to have like that aggressive of an evening. Yeah, sounds like a, a nice group of things. Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, a, a major concern, um, I guess, for, for many fans right now would be the uh, state of the men's lacrosse team. Things are, uh, things are a little hairy at the moment. There's, uh, there's only three games left. SU's five and three. Uh, they're facing uh, three top five teams in North Carolina, at Virginia, and at Notre Dame. Uh, things didn't go too well against Notre Dame at home a couple weeks ago in an 18-11 to 11 loss. 
they were able to outlast Virginia uh, pretty well in a 20 to 10 win at home. Uh, and then this North Carolina game, uh, it's the only time we face the heels this year. SU needs to finish above 500 in order to get to um, the postseason. So, Dan, I guess, A, are you concerned? B, do you think we do? Yeah, I, I think we'll manage. Like, I, I'm, uh, it's tough. I, I, the Notre Dame game is the one time this year where it's been pretty disheartening, and that was coming off of a tough loss against Duke where they had a really stellar comeback and, and uh, had a chance to win the game at the end. And, and that was, like, kind of a coin flip by the end, so it was hard to get too worked up over what that meant. Um, obviously, the Army game was, was the first game of the year, and they looked like they just, you know, were, were still very much shaking the rust off. Um, but it's also at the same time, like we just haven't had like the toughest schedule. Obviously the Virginia game was a statement, a statement game in, in the second, uh, second game of the year. Um, and Virginia is still hanging in at number three. So that, that win continues to look really good, but I don't know that you can just like, you know, I don't know that you can really glean a ton from like the Vermont, Stony Brook, Holy Cross, Albany games, even if, you know, you, you like to win those games and they've won most of them pretty handily. Um, especially with these last three games. So I, I don't know. I think if we picked up one of them, we should be in pretty good shape. Um, ideally not Virginia again, although at the same time, like we beat Virginia by 10 last game. So you, you feel at least pretty good about that one. Um, but uh, yeah, I totally understand kind of the, the hesitancy after what happened with Notre Dame, but this is also just kind of the ACC lacrosse experience, right? Like this is, this is what happens at the end of the year. It gets really, really tough uh, every single game uh, going into the ACC tournament, going into the NCAAs. So it's definitely a, a real grind. Um, but I do think this team has a pretty high ceiling, so I, I believe they'll find a way here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this has just been a very been a very back-and-forth season. I'm certainly pretty concerned. Uh, <laughs> there is also, I mean, we have to also note, like there is the ACC Men's Lacrosse Championship um, that's at Duke um, April 30th and May 2nd. So we do have some opportunities Um to get in still, but again, need to finish above 500, need to find a way um, to make that happen. I think UNC poses a a challenge, but that game's at home. They actually have a pretty similar resume to us. Um, They lost to two against Virginia at home. They beat Virginia by three um, on the road um, in Charlottesville. Um, They have a uh, loss at Duke in overtime, uh, 12 to 11. And other than that, uh, just, picking up some bodies um, along the way. I know they beat Denver 24 to 13, um, probably the most interesting uh, additional result um, on top of the ACC ones. I think they're the most beatable team on here. I'd really like to just get, if you you get the season sweep against Virginia, you're, you're, you're set. I think really, if you win one of these games, um, then obviously you seal um, a record above 500 going into the ACC tournament. Um, and if you lose in the semis, at least you have a 500 record. Um, ideally, we'd like to go two and one. But I just think these face-off issues um, are persistent. I don't think they're necessarily going away to the extent we need them to. Um, really, even a 13-8 win over Albany is not necessarily like confidence-inducing, um, no matter what happens. Uh, I think we make it, but I'm not necessarily as bullish about this team's postseason prospects as I was going into the year. No, I think that sounds right. And it's, it's a lot of, it's just kind of the, the issue with playing like such a loaded and pretty like small conference schedule where everyone is a top 10 team all the time. Um, if you are just like slightly on the outside looking in with a group like that, it's going to be hard to overcome. And also with like a, just a schedule that's a little less flexible this season. 
um, specifically because of all the challenges. So uh, I'm vaguely concerned, but I, I also feel still pretty confident that we'll find a way to get one of these. I think the team's too good to not to, to lose three straight here at the end. I would agree. And also I like misstated the, uh, the like ACC tournament thing. I don't know if is that even happening this year because <laughs> I thought I like understood that it like wasn't maybe to the extent it normally is. I honestly like it. I've been wondering that <laughs> um, just because like I, the schedule too doesn't necessarily set up. And like, like forgive me for not knowing this off the top of my head, but like we do have a game scheduled against Notre Dame on May first. There is no ACC tournament. I just looked up the press release from the ACC, despite the fact that there's still an ACC tournament subsite for 2021. I mean, just, that doesn't... Just, just, winners, just, just winners all around. Um, so no ACC tournament. Um, so yeah, at this point, yeah, you would need to win one of these. Uh, the other thing that would have been helpful is uh, if the Utah game hadn't gotten canceled. Um, that's it. I, I never understood why the Utes were subjecting themselves to that travel so late in the year. It was a, a really interesting... I don't know. I was actually kind of excited to see it just because I, I'm into the further expansion of uh, the sport out West um, in general. But uh, it, yeah, it also was a weird year for them to be coming here. Um, hopefully we can do it again soon, like when things are normal and and get that going. I think it's good for lacrosse in general for us to be playing schools like that, but this was probably not the ideal season for it. No, I, I would definitely agree. So realistically, at 5-3, and three, Syracuse would very much benefit from just winning one game, and that's all you need to do, and you're probably in just because of the caliber of the opponent. Well, you're actually definitely in, I think, just because the caliber of opponents here – um, if you win two, um, I think you're, I think you're still iffy for, uh, you know, a top eight seed, but it's feasible. If you win all three, then in that case, I think you're, you're, you're in a very good spot, um, to get one of those. Yeah. I think that's very fair. All right, Dan, uh, we'll close out maybe with a little bit of NFL draft talk. I think we'll talk more about the draft, um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but right now it seems like, all three defensive backs are going to be drafted. Um, I know that Andre Cisco had a video out um, on his Twitter over the weekend um, and said that this that the uh, the guys from SU, uh, him, uh, Fiti Melifanwu, and Trill Williams were the three best uh, comprised the, the best uh, DB class in the draft um, for one school. Um, bold words, but maybe not incorrect. Um, especially when you look at the volume, um, just that, you know, we'll have three players probably selected in the first five rounds or so. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on like how much you weigh like a single player. Um, obviously like you have guys like Patrick Sertan or, or uh, who is just a dominant individual player. And uh, I don't know, Alabama's whole draft depth thing off the top of my, of my head. It wouldn't shock <laughs> me if they had another uh, DB or two in the running. Um but if in terms of like kind of a more balanced perspective, in ter- like as far as like the weakest link of those three goes, it might be there. Like obviously, it seems like you know Sisto has been in these talks for a while now, and uh, and last season probably hurt him a little bit because of the injury and his inability to play most of the season. But it still seems like he's a very good bet to go in the first two or three rounds. Um, and then the other two are probably two of the bigger risers in the group. Like Trill is a athletic freak; he's a playmaker. He, I'm sure teams would love to have him on special teams, if nothing else. Uh, and those guys get drafted, like big-time special teams players who can fill in as like a third or fourth DB uh, can certainly get picked. And then uh, Melifonwu obviously has been just like streaming up draft boards since like January. He's He might be the first of the guys to go, which is, you know, not something we expected coming into uh, the season, certainly, um, and and proved himself over and over and over as a Syracuse player. So it's uh, 
it's certainly an argument to have at least. Uh, and it's interesting con- considering it's coming off of um, a really poor season uh, injury played season um, for a lot of those guys, but they've certainly earned it. Like they, they have all been such important players going back to that 2018 season. Um, and it's just, it's great to see them have that kind of success. And hopefully it's the type that we can uh, use, do something with um, going forward in terms of uh, recruiting, because when you, you know, NFL draft is, is the end game for a lot of guys, especially when they're choosing their colleges. And if you can say like, Hey, obviously Syracuse has had some struggles here and there in terms of wins and losses, but we can bounce back to a 2018 level uh, with you here. And you can certainly reach the heights that you want to reach uh, in terms of your professional career coming out of here. Like you don't have to go that far back to when we had a bunch of first round picks in a row with like guys like Chandler Jones and Justin Pugh. And now, you know, we just put three defensive backs in the first three rounds or first four rounds of the draft. Like that's pretty, uh, that's pretty impressive. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, obviously the goal is having a bunch of first-round guys, and hopefully we get back to that soon. Uh, But having three guys drafted here, and it seems like that's very much going to be the case, that would be the first time that's happened since 2013. Uh, when we had three guys drafted in the first four rounds, uh, Justin Pugh went in the first, and then Nassib and uh, Shamarco went in the fourth. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'd very much like to see this, even if we don't have a first rounder, and we probably won't um, here. It's just, it'll be nice to have maybe three guys go again before the fifth round. Uh, we've only had one fifth rounder, one player go in the fifth rounder earlier uh, last year, Alden Robinson, um, since 2016. So, obviously, um, a bit of a struggle um, of late. You know, even though, uh, you know, Dino's upgraded the talent level, we haven't necessarily seen that pay off in terms of um, consistent wins or consistent draft picks recently. And I think that maybe this is the start of that. Um, I know you hinted at like kind of this leading to more talent acquisition. Um, I think you've heard too from some recent recruits, you know, guy like, um, you know, Deuce Chestnut who arrived um, this uh, spring for the uh, class of 2021. Uh, some of the guys are recruiting, I know, like Tra- Travell Mullen, um, who's a four-star guy who Syracuse is in on, like has mentioned, uh, Cisco, um, Elefonwu, Trill, like, and, and a lot of these guys for 2022 have already mentioned, um, you know, that collection of players um, as guys they want to aspire to. And I think really the the two different systems we've had of late um, have helped. Um, having a ball hawking style has really helped. It's allowed us to have like a signature thing that our defense does, win or lose. Um, and that's something that guys, you know, appreciate because really like no, no matter what you're doing, being able to, to rack up interceptions um, is going to help you uh, get drafted. Cause ultimately like the way you really can't, I think more than just about anything, we like, can't teach that. Um, and, and you can't teach an ability to, to, you know, disrupt games and, and flip the field like that. And, and I think, uh, you know, players understand that coming out of high school um, and that's only going to help us, uh, Dan, who do you think of these guys probably goes first? Um, I, I'm kind of let I'm kind of trending towards uh, iffy at this point, 
just because I think he's been a steady riser. And I think Cisco's injury probably stops him from being picked, you know, in a late first, early second scenario. But, you know, I, I, I think Melifond was probably done, like you said, the most um, of any SU player, maybe more than most um, overall, um, despite not having a traditional scouting and, and combine cycle. Um, he's really done a lot for himself here. And I think he could really be drafted maybe even the front half of the second round um, if, the, if the you know cards break the right way. Yeah, I think it all depends on like team need. Uh, that starts to become more and more uh, of an issue after you get after the first round where you know more teams are likely to go with best player available or, or different strategies. But once you get into the second rounds and start to really go from there, um, it'll depend on whether teams need corners more than safeties and more teams need more cornerbacks and safeties generally. So I do think Melifon was probably at the light has a leg up there. Um, but it would also wouldn't shock me if a team fell in love with Cisco and his ball his a, uh, his kind of game breaking ability. Um, but I, I'd probably go 60, 40, uh, Melifon goes first, but I do think they're going to go very, very close. They're like right in that same range. I know we've had like, I've seen a mock draft or two, uh, that had them going back to back, which would be cool. Um, and probably like a really nice notable moment for like the program to sell and recruiting. But in, in any case, I expect them to be in the same range generally. And then I, I think Trill, Trill's probably looking at like fourth or fifth round, um, which he was pretty much off boards until a couple of weeks ago. So it, you know, I do expect all of them to go, which is great. I mean, it's a, it's a good feeling because usually we have like our one or two guys that were like, all right, well, hopefully they sneak in. Um, and that does not, that's not the case at all this year. It's, it's way more fun to, to just be debating about like where it's going to be rather than if it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, realistically, like there's three guys who are going to get picked, um, and, and, and those things will happen. And like you said, that's a relief. Um, and all of them should be before the seventh round, which is even more of a relief. Um, and then you have, uh, Nolan Cooney, surprisingly, uh, is the most likely, um, you know, undrafted free agent pickup. And, and, and seems like a priority guy um, as a punter, um, which would be awesome. I mean, I, I don't see him necessarily taking somebody's job, but I mean, could you imagine if if SU ends up with three punters um, <laughs> starting great. in the league? <laughs> it would be pretty wild. It'd be great. Um, yeah, I mean, he has the pedigree. Like, like no joke, he has the pedigree. So um, it wouldn't shock shock me if he uh, if he gets involved. Obviously, like. There are only so many of those jobs, but also like the second that someone shows anywhere at kicker or punter, more kicker because they have very, very high pressure positions they're put in. But anytime like one of those guys falters, you know, if he's the next guy up for some teams, like that's not the worst position to be in. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, for kickers, it's such a high stress and like a mental gig. And there's so many cases of guys who just like, that's it uh, very quickly. Um, versus punter, I, I feel like there's definitely a little more to it. Um, and, and it's good to have, you know, like, like if there's one thing, like it, this is where like having the defensive backs come in is going to be good because it, while it's funny and fun to have, you know, two, maybe three punters in the league, and especially like Cooney would be a really cool story because of, you know, how he dealt with cancer, um, how he was a walk-on uh, during his time at SU, how he really only played one season, um, you know, as punter and, and, and if he can, you know, turn that into a real NFL opportunity, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is where kind of we help turn the next page. Like, okay, now that we have established, you know, the punter you thing and everything else, now we get, um, you know, a handful of defensive backs in. Um, and then hopefully after that, like, yeah, we'll have Andre Schmidt's going to get drafted. 
Um, but then after that, like hopefully there's some more offensive players that get picked. Um, we're able to really kind of establish a little bit more because um, really for Dino, like it where, where I think he's, he's getting tripped up from a recruiting standpoint is like everybody he can bank on from an offensive standpoint is really from previous gigs. Yeah. And, and, and that's tough um, when you're trying to sell offense to guys. And no offense to the punters, but I would much rather be the defensive back school. (laughs) So hopefully, I mean, I'd rather be both, but um, I'd like to add to our, our like resume here. So yes, I, I, I think it is good that Dino is going to get his guys on the defensive side and hopefully that helps him get the players that he needs to then stick around and really start to rebuild this thing. Um, And then, as you said, get like a little more balance here, but whatever works. Like, I think, I think overall, like I I imagine that the defensive back uh, situation will probably benefit that position most, especially when you have a guy like Nick Ronro, who's our best recruiter from a position coach standpoint, um, coaching that position. Uh, I think you'll probably see the biggest benefits there, but I, I don't think they're limited to that. I think if you're a linebacker or you're a wide receiver or something, like you can still see like, hey, they put these guys all in a, you know relatively early in the NFL, even if the team didn't have like a ton of uh, winning around them. I, I still think there's going to be some benefit across the roster. So yeah, hopefully it, it helps us uh, balance everything out and, and we can really start to make a push here. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Dan, anything else before we depart today? No, excited to uh, get near the draft. I love the draft. Uh, one of my favorite events. I've been watching it my for most of my life at this point. So looking forward to that on April 29th. Uh, our guys will probably be the next day uh, starting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, hopefully lacrosse uh, settles settles our nerves here in a couple days uh, coming up with that UNC game. Yeah, very much agree. I definitely – I used to watch the draft more. Um, but I, I, I do tune in here and there, especially like when, when, when SU guys are involved. Um, but yeah, I, I, I used to be, you know, the type back when it was a Saturday, Sunday, um, event, it was definitely something that I used to plan my entire like schedule around and all that when I was, you know, even high school and into like the early parts of college too, but I'll definitely be tuning in, um, between the SU guys, obviously the giants could, could use some help. Um, always, always, always use some help. They're terrible drafters. Um, really, (laughs) if you, if you, you, you can, you can look back, honestly, the last two decades, it's been pretty miserable. Um, and, and the only thing glossing over, uh, you know, repeated failures are, are a couple Super Bowl titles. Uh, just, just, just a little something, but just, 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 I mean, I'll take them. Obviously, I'll um, look for my team to not be drafting a quarterback on the first round, and uh, and uh, you know, making our MVP quarterback mad. Um, hopefully, they do something to make our MVP quarterback happy, uh, and maybe stick around longer. Um, but if you, you know. want, you can just come. To, we'll, we'll give you guys Daniel Jones and our next couple first round picks. Uh, talk, let's define couple, and then we'll we'll circle back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also be caring about the Rams since I, since I'm now a Ram season ticket holder. This I, is true. Uh, you you are you've you, you've really finessed your New York fandoms with your LA fandoms quite well uh, in recent years. Yeah, despite the fact that they would potentially once again would face each other in a, in, a, in a potential uh, playoff situation. I, uh, <laughs> it's fine. No, I'm still a Giants fan. Um, they, they, they've rewarded me more than the Rams have rewarded any of their fans ever. This is true. Certainly not the LA fans. No. On that note, uh, <laughs> that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. 
Orange. 